You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We're closing out our series. We're closing out our series called I No Longer. And it's been an amazing study all summer through the book of Galatians. Tonight's sermon, tonight's sermon is titled Better Together. It's titled Better Together. But there are some things, there are some things that are not better together. I want to give you a few of those examples right now. The first one is this. Something that is not better together is when somebody takes a picture of you and you don't know that they're taking the picture. Have we all been there before? Everyone been there before? I want to show you two of my favorites recently. Let's throw these up on the screen. My first one is Anna. Where's Anna? Is Anna here? Wow, sucks for Anna. All right. So there's Anna and Maddie. I captured this photo. She didn't know I was taking it. She was just growling. This was when we were in Peru. Some things are just not better together. There's another one that I want to show you. There's another one. Let's go to the next one. This is one of my personal favorites of Nicole. So this is our small group leader, Nicole, mid-bite. Honestly, I've, I've dissected this photo. It looks like she's eating a snail. I don't know. You know what I mean? But But this is an example of something that is not better together. Oh, okay, okay. Here's another thing that's not better together. Sharpies and little children, okay? Sharpies and little children. I want to show you a picture of Brinley. Uh, There's a picture of Brinley when she was like two years. I know, she looks so sweet and innocent, right? Like immediately after this photo was taken, this is what she did to our couch with a Sharpie pen. Let's go to that next photo. That is straight Sharpies. Sharpies on the couch. Now, here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. God can heal all things. Amen. Amen. God can heal all things, including, including couches. Um, this is a little pro tip for those of you that, you know, this will be helpful in about 20 years. Um, baking soda can basically fix anything. So you mix baking soda together, and this is what happens. We were able to completely fix the couch. Isn't that amazing? All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another thing that's not better together. Humans and dangerous animals. Now, you're going to see in a minute, you're going to see in a minute a video I've never shown you before. It's a video of me being attacked by one of the world's most dangerous animals. Picture when you think of world's most dangerous animals. I know this, this animal is about to come to your mind, but here's the deal. At first, it looks like we're friends, like we're hanging out, and then it turns violent. Some of you, fewer discretion advised, some of you may need to turn away. Okay, I'm just saying there's not blood, but there could have been. So, Anyway, watch this. I got you. Okay, hold on. Did everybody see that? Did everybody see how he rolled on top of me? That thing is like a thousand pounds. Anyway, all right. Maybe you didn't think that was as scary as I did. All right. Oh, here's another one. Here's another great one. Here's another great one. Something that is not better together, something that is not better together, is when you get your wisdom teeth pulled and you get some anesthesia and somebody video records you. Now, here's a young man in our youth group. 
His name is Luke. I want you to listen. If we can make sure the volume's up, guys, I want you to listen to what he says. This is Luke under anesthesia. His parents sent me this. This is him right after he got his wisdom teeth pulled. Watch this video. No, we're not. I was like, I'm not going to Buddha. We're not changing <laughs> gods. We're changing your gods. Okay, good. Because I like my God. I can do all things that he strengthens me. He strengthens you? Mm-hmm. See, look at these gods. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty strong. Yeah. Shake and bake, Luke. Shake and bake. Okay. Okay. I don't know if you guys can hear it, but it's, it's so good. His parents say, his parents say, we need to change your gauze, right? He hears, we need to change your God, right? And he's like, I am not changing my God. I like my God. And then he talks about his guns, right? Like, I love that. I love that. Uh, but I've saved the best for last. I've saved the best for last. Something that is not better together is Adrian Pichai and catapults. Okay. They don't go together. We're going to watch this one at least two times together. Let's enjoy this. This is not better together. Let's watch this. <laughs> Send it again. Send it again. We have to do it one more time. One more time. It's for illustration purposes. I want you all to get this. Think about the deep spiritual applications. You guys, now, I'm going to, I'm going to confess something to you. I'm going to confess something to you. Every once in a while, you guys, I'm going to confess a sin. All right, I'm going to confess a sin. This is a big deal. Every once in a while, Adrian and I get in arguments, okay? Like, we work together, we love each other, but sometimes we have conflicting ideas. When I get really mad at Adrian, I watch that video, and it helps. It really, really, really helps helps. So if you're ever in a season where you're frustrated, Adrian, I will send you the video. It helps. It helps. So give it up for Adrian. Thank you, Adrian. So there are things, there are things in this life that are not better together, but the body of Christ, the family of God, we are actually called and created by God to be better together. Meaning the fact that we are in relationship with each other, that we know each other, that we are family, God's intention behind that is that it would be better that we are ultimately together. And tonight I want to talk about two ways, two very difficult and yet essential ways that we are actually better together. And my hope and desire is that as you jump into your small group tonight, that you have some discussions around these two ideas. If you're the note-taking type, make sure you get out your sermon notes. We profoundly believe that if you take notes during uh, the message, that you will have better small group time. So underneath your chair, we have those pens. If we could pass those down the aisle, if you don't already have them, get out your sermon notes. First big idea is this. You can fill in the blank. We are better together when we restore one another. I want you to think about that for a second. We are better together when we restore one another. This is Paul as he closes his letter. In the book of Galatians, he says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught 
in a sin, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. I'm going to read that again. There's so much packed into this one singular verse. Brothers and sisters, if someone you know, if someone you're friends with, if someone that's a part of your community, that's in your small group, that goes to HSM with you, that you see at church who you know loves Jesus, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Paul says there's two steps to follow when you see somebody in your life who is caught in sin. I love the way that Paul describes sin. He doesn't describe sin as something really fun that you're trying to get away with. He describes it as a trap. You know, sometimes when um, we have people in our lives who are caught in some kind of sin, it can be really easy to be judgmental of them because we look at what they're doing and it may seem really fun and there may be a part of us that wants to do it. And so we respond with being like extra judgmental or self-righteous to them. But scripture always describes sin as death. It describes it as a trap. And so if you got someone in your life right now who loves Jesus but is struggling with pride or anger or lust or aggression and rage or gossip, Scripture says they're caught in that. I mean, it's like a trap around them. And I want you to begin to think, what, what sin are you trapped in right now? I mean, maybe, maybe some of you, and this isn't really a part of the message, but we just need to deviate for a second. For some of you, for some of you, there's this sin going on in your life that you're desperately trying to hide and pretend isn't a part of your life. You need to understand that it has its hold on you, that you are trapped underneath that sin, that you are caught in it. Paul says when you see somebody, Paul says when you see somebody, oh man, what's going on? Boom. Can you hear me now? There we go. All right. So Paul says, Paul says that if you are caught in a sin, that you are literally trapped in that. But here's, he, here's the thing. He gives us two important commandments. That if you see somebody in your life who's caught in sin, you need to do two things. The first thing you need to do is you need to call them out privately. It can be tempting to call them out publicly. It can be really tempting to gossip about them gossip behind their back, or just honestly look at their sin and say, you know what, I'm scared of ruining the relationship. I'm, I'm nervous that they would get upset at me for bringing something up, so I'm just going to go ahead and pretend like nothing's going on. Friends, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're friend, if you have a friend, if you have somebody you know who is sinning, they are trapped in it. Like picture, picture of you, if you were trapped in something, like, have you seen those, have you seen those like bear traps that are like on the ground, like a bear steps in and their leg gets clamped around it? Can you imagine if somebody you saw, somebody you knew was in a bear trap like that? Like you couldn't just walk by them and be like, oh man, sucks for them. Oh, whatever. And walk away. No, you would have to do something. You would have to intervene. And scripture says your friends who are struggling with sin, they're caught in it. They're trapped in it. And so the most loving thing that you can do is number one, call them out privately. This means pull them aside. This means say, hey, text them, say, hey, can we go grab coffee? Hey, hey, can we meet a little bit before HSM? But then the second thing you need to do is you need to commit 
to restoring them gently. This is really, really significant. Paul does not give any of us permission to call somebody out on their sin and then say, peace, I'm out. And sometimes some of us that are like more bold in that way, that could be easier for us. We say, I'm just going to tell you exactly what I think. I'm going to be really bold with you. I'm going to let you know you're in sin and then peace, you can do whatever you want. That's not what Paul says we're called to do as people who are better together. That if we're going to be better together, we've got to call each other out on our sin. This means when you see somebody in your life who is caught in sin, you call them out, but then you have to at the same time commit to restoring them. That means bringing them back into the community. That means walking alongside them. That means helping them with their porn addiction. That means texting them every night saying, hey, how did you handle that sin today? Were you struggling in that area? Did you have that tough conversation? Whatever it may be, you've got to commit to restoring them but then he uses this word, he says, gently. You see, there's, there's a difference. There's a difference between seeing somebody caught in sin and being so mad at them for being in their sin that you just go off on them. And then there's a holy perspective. There's a Christ-like perspective that sees somebody in sin and recognizes their trap recognizes they're caught, recognizes that God has called you to, to call them out on it, to be honest with them, but then to say at the same time, I'm not going anywhere. There's this couple that uh, my wife and I have been doing some marriage counseling with, and they've been so afraid of their relationship. They, uh, they've been so afraid of bringing up tough things in their relationship because they're so afraid that the other one is going to leave. And I keep telling them, Sarah and I keep telling them, when you have those tough conversations, lead out by saying, hey, I need to talk about this. We need to talk about this, but I'm not going anywhere. We need to talk about this, but I'm committed to you. You see, there's something incredibly powerful about somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, I want to be honest with you about the sin that you're going through right now, but I want you to know at the same time, I'm not leaving you. I want you to know at the same time that I am committed to restoring you back, to bringing you back into the community. You see, Paul doesn't say, call them out and then shame them. He doesn't say, call them out and distance yourself from them. He, he doesn't say, call them out and then go gossip about them. He says, call them out and then saying, but let me tell you something, because I love you and because we're better together, I'm not going anywhere that I'm committed to restoring you. And the way in which I'm going to do that, the description that defines how I want to come alongside you and restore you is gentleness. You know, if someone in your life is really caught in a sin, if it's like a, a bear trap around their leg, it's probably going to be very difficult for them to just walk away from that. I mean, think about that analogy. It's going to require other people it's going to require some healing and support and help. And those of us, all of us, caught in some kind of sin, we need a community that says, hey, I'm committed to you. What would it look like if in your small groups you were able to be really honest about the sin that you're caught in, the sin that's trapped you? And what would it be like if you knew that those people weren't going to go anywhere, but that those people were totally committed to you for the long haul? You know what the problem is in our culture right now? You know what the problem is with our generation? Like, I lump me with you guys. Like, I know I'm like only a little bit older than you, but I lump, I'm lumping me with you guys. You know what's the problem with us? 
We listen too much to our feelings and not enough to God's word. I think I see this all the time when I talk with young people. You know what I hear over and over and over again? I feel this. I feel this. This feels right. And I think it's really important for us to listen to our feelings. But if we're listening to our feelings over and above listening to God's word, we have ourselves a problem. You see, I think this especially plays out in the realm of relationships. In, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus makes it really crystal clear how we are supposed to confront someone that we have tension with. He says this in Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. He didn't say gossip about it. He doesn't say, wait to see if you feel like talking to that person. He says, look, if you've got beef with somebody, if you've got issues with somebody, go to them directly and talk about it. You see, if we're truly going to be a community that's better together, we've got to be willing to call each other out and commit to each other for the long haul. It continues in verse 2. Actually, I'll finish verse one. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So here Paul says, look, as you're restoring someone, as you're committed to somebody, if they're struggling with a sin that you also really struggle with, you need to be careful. In fact, you may need to involve more people so that it's not just you and that person in case you might be tempted to sin in the same way. Then verse two, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What an interesting phrase. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is this. John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. And everybody listening would have said, Jesus, that is not a new command. I've heard that tons of times before. A new command I give you, love one another. But then here's how Jesus defines love. Listen to these words. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus absolutely redefines love. In a sense, you could say it this way. If your love for another doesn't look like Christ's love for you, you're not loving them. If the way you love somebody doesn't look like the way Christ has loved you, then it's not love. I mean, what an important definition in our culture where the word love is so abused and misused and misunderstood. If you're looking for what is the definition of love, it's this. Love people as Christ has loved you. Anything less than that is not love. So how in the world could we justify asking each other for nude pics? How in the world could we justify texting each other inappropriate things? How in the world could we justify group texting with a friend about somebody else saying horrible things about them? How could we justify subtweeting, knowing that everyone will know exactly what we're talking about and that person will feel the sting? How in the world could we justify that as love? Because that is in no way what Jesus was talking about. Friends, this is why it's so important that you are in your word and that you know Jesus. Because Jesus is the definition of love. If you haven't started to read the Bible or you've been out of the game for a little while, I want to give you the gospel challenge. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
There will be some stories that are similar from different angles. There will be unique stories. You will get to know who Jesus is and you will understand at the end of that what love looks like. Love sacrifices. Love prioritizes the other. Love serves. Love doesn't ask, what am I getting out of this? Love says, how can I give? What can I give? And ultimately, love points the other to God. Isn't that what Jesus did? He pointed us to himself. He pointed us to the Father. That is the very definition of love. He continues, verse three, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Here's where Paul says, you know what is the... uh, the antithesis of calling someone out and committing to them and loving them, the antithesis of that, the enemy of that is pride. I love the way Psalms 10.4 defines pride. It says this, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Here's a quick, easy definition for pride. Pride is when your view of yourself gets so big that there's no room for God in your life. Pride is when your view of yourself, your view of your thoughts, your view of whether things are right or wrong is so much about you. Your head gets so big. You are always right. You could never be wrong. You can never be in sin that literally you push God out of your life. And Paul says that's an incredibly dangerous place to live. Find me in verse eight. We're gonna jump down a few. He says this, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. I just wanna ask you this question. And I want you to think about this as you're contemplating right now. Maybe there's someone in your life who's struggling, who's caught in a sin. Paul says this, if you're reaping and sowing, if you're having those tough conversations to gratify yourself, to make yourself feel better, it's an empty effort. Let me ask you this question. Is calling them out, and you need to ask yourself this before you step into one of these tough conversations, is calling them out about making you feel superior or is calling them out about restoring them? You need to ask yourself that before you step into one of those hard conversations. Am I doing this? Am I having this tough conversation because I want them to think higher of me because I want to feel superior and better than them? Am I having this tough conversation because I so deeply desire that they would be restored, that we would be better together, that we would be in community? But not only are we better together when we restore one another, next big idea, we are better together when we do good to one another. Look at what verse nine says. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Listen to that again. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Here's the challenge. Some Christian is going to wrong you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to gossip about you. You're going to find out something and you're going to want to block them. You're going to want to unfollow them. You're going to want to delete them from your life. But Paul says we're actually better together when we choose to do good to one another, even when it costs us something. Even when that person doesn't deserve it. Even when that person has mistreated you. Choosing to do good to them 
is what we're called to. And then this is what's so powerful about this. The question is why? Like, why should we do good to people? Paul says, because when we do, when we do, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Here are the two ideas I want to communicate on this. Number one is this. Following Jesus is not dependent on what I see right now. Following Jesus is dependent on what he promises me right now. Think about this for a second. Some of you may be doing good. You may be loving people, serving people, loving people, and you're not seeing any fruit from it. You're not seeing any results. You're not seeing them love you back. And you may be looking out. You may be seeing absolutely no fruit. But following Jesus, being faithful with the life God has called you to is not dependent on you seeing what you want to see. It's dependent on believing the promises that God has given you. And the promise he gives you is that you will bear fruit. Leaders, I want to talk to the leaders for a second. Don't give up on these students. Like, don't give up on these students. And there's moments for us, even as leaders, where we're like, why'd you do that? And it's because we love you guys. And leaders, I want to tell you, don't give up on these students. You know why? Because God promises that we will reap a harvest. God promises that we will see fruit. Students, I'm talking to you for a second. Students, don't give up on each other. Don't delete each other. Don't block each other. Don't run away from conflict with each other. Instead, commit to restoring each other. Because Paul says that God promises us that we will reap a harvest, that we will see the fruit in that. And then lastly, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. There's a card on your chair that says HSM is better together. Could you get out this card for me real quick? Paul says do good to all people, meaning those who don't love God, and then do good to the people that are in the family of God. I want to talk about people who don't know God right now. On this side, it says, I am going to pray for, and there's two blanks. I am going to share Jesus with, and there's two blanks. I am going to invite these friends to the Ultimate Life Group Showdown. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Scripture says we are called to do good. We are called to share our faith. We are called to go and make disciples. If this is our calling then what I want you to do is I want you to think right now. I'm going to give you about a minute right now. Who is God putting on your heart that you are going to be praying for right now? Who's somebody that you're going, man, I, I just want to pray for these two people. I know they're struggling. I know they don't want anything to do with God. These are the two people that I'm committing to praying for. Maybe they're the same two people, and that's cool. Maybe there's two other people that you know God is calling you to share Jesus with them. God is calling you to share with them how God has transformed your life, what God is doing in your life. And then lastly, I want you to commit to inviting and bringing two friends with you to the Ultimate Life Group Showdown. We're going to show them what community is like and give them an opportunity to connect with your amazing leaders. And as they do that, we know they're going to encounter Jesus. So students, in your small groups tonight, I want you to go over these. I want you to maybe even share these. I want you to pray for these people. And this next week, I want you to share Jesus with them. And I want you to invite them to the Ultimate Life Group Showdown. And then lastly, lastly, for us as a family, I just have three questions for you, and it's this. Number one, 
Who in your life is committed to restoring you? Who's a friend in your small group? A friend that you serve with on Sundays? Who you know, hey, that person, they're committed to me. Who, who are you committed to restoring? Are you the kind of person in your small group that you're like, man, I'm here for these guys. Man, I'm here for these girls. Like, I'm committed to this group. And then last question is this. Who are you actively doing good to? Who are some people in your life, your small group maybe, how are you actively serving them, loving them like Christ? As you break into your small groups, I want to encourage you to have discussions around what it means to be better together. On your chairs, you have those ultimate life groups.